Hey, welcome to the Epic Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad Mitchell, and besides being a husband and a father to four wonderful children, I am also a small business owner. And I'm Bobby Hawk. I'm co-hosting with Chad. And not only am I a husband and father of two, but I am also a pastor. So we're going to talk about leadership and whether you are in the marketplace or the ministry, I think the Epic Leadership Podcast can encourage and enhance your leadership. Here we go. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good morning. Good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, hey, Chad Mitchell here. I got my good buddy Bobby Hawk and Bobby. Episode number eleven. Episode eleven. Uh, finishing out the year here, Chad. In December, December is for decisions. So today, let's talk about decision making because uh, leaders, whether you're leading an organization or a ministry, whether you're leading your family or just simply leading yourself, um, everyone makes decisions. So we're going to talk about how to make decisions, uh, how we make decisions. I wouldn't say it's the right way, but there's certainly uh, some wrong ways and we'll talk about that. So I'm excited about this as we uh, close out the year. So decision-making, here we go. You bet. Yeah. And the great thing about this, Bobby, is you don't have to be a leader to make a decision, right? It, uh, it, you just got to do that sometimes. Yeah. And, and maybe we kick off here. Um, when, I don't know what, uh, listeners think of when they think of making decisions. Uh, obviously we make decisions all the time. Um, uh, every day, uh, most of the decisions we make are probably subconscious. We just decide that mentally and we do it. It's habit, it's routine. It's, it's what we're used to the norm, but then there's those decisions that you face that, uh, are out They're They're out of routine. They're out of the norm. Um, Maybe it's a business decision or a business deal. Maybe it's a decision about a relationship, uh, but it's it's something that you would consider not necessarily a subconscious decision. How do we handle those decisions? And so uh, we've got a few bullet points and then kind of a process, Chad, that we want to walk through. Uh, but maybe talk to me about when you think about decisions, what comes to mind? You know, when I think about decisions, um, there's a lot of things that kind of come to mind for me. And the reason why is I, I, I process most of my decisions through it through the lens of a business owner. But then there's times, Bobby, when I have to process the lens through or process decisions through the lens of a father, um, a husband, an individual. You know, so there's so many different things that kind of come to mind when I'm thinking about decisions. But um, decision making is always going to be at different levels of intensity, different levels of, of difficult, so to speak. Um, some decisions are going to be easy and some are going to take a little bit more thought process. And, uh, you know, and here's the thing. I don't think you'll ever be a hundred percent on the decisions that you make. At least I won't. Well, I, no, I think you're right. I think if you wait to be a hundred percent, not only will you never be a hundred percent on most decisions, uh, the reality is, is that's kind of indecision. And, and one of the things I know you and I have talked about, uh, indecision is a decision. It's just a bad one. Yeah. You know, not making a decision and, and waiting, whether it's, you know, analysis paralysis, cause you got so many things you can't land on one or whether it's just trying to decide between two. I, I know the hardest decision it seems like for my wife and I to make is, uh, when we're talking about where to go eat sometimes. Yeah. And we, we typically, Chad, we're pretty routine people. We, we don't branch out a lot because we know what we like. Right. And uh, so if we 
want to have Mexican food, there's a, there's a place we like best. You know, if we want to have Chinese food, there's a place we like best. And the, the irony though is oftentimes we're plagued with not being able to make a decision. We go back and forth. What do you want? Oh, I don't care. What do you want? And, you yeah. know, maybe we throw out a suggestion. Ah, oh, that doesn't sound good to me. Probably a lot of our listeners have experienced that. And that indecision probably doesn't make a big difference in my life. But I'll tell you that there are times where indecision makes a huge difference and indecision is always a bad decision. You know, here's, here's kind of how I think about Chad. Um, let's make a deal. Did you ever watch that yeah. that show? I'm probably dating us a little bit for maybe some of our younger listeners, but uh, if you uh, Google it, if you don't know what it is, but you know, the concept was pretty simple. Uh, door number one, door number two, door number three, there's going to be a really good prize, you know, behind one of those doors. And uh, the thing is, is now that's, that's maybe more of a decision you could base off more luck than logic, right? So this probably isn't a great way to make life decisions. But the point is, if you choose door number one, or you choose door number two, or you choose door number three, you got a chance to win. Right. But what happens if you stand there and you don't choose any of the doors? Yeah. You're not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, you can't win if you don't choose a door. And I think when you, when you put that into a decision-making filter, I think many people and oftentimes leaders are plagued with indecision. Maybe it's because they don't have a good decision-making process. Maybe it's because they don't have that filter. Maybe it's fear. But hopefully what we're going to share today is going to help with, uh, with some of that. Because no matter what, I would rather make a decision and later on say, oh, I wish I would have made a different decision right. than to not make a decision at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think we'll be able to unpack some things here um, that'll actually help and, and kind of give you some points that will actually help with the decision-making process, whether that be a big decision or a small one, because I think you go through the same process regardless. Now, here's what we have to realize. We also have to realize that decision-making, and sometimes that's a sprint, meaning we got to do this really quick. And sometimes that's a marathon. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. So you mentioned the size of our decisions and, and certainly the size of our decisions, um, magnitude. That's when we talk about size, you know, who, who you're going to marry. That's a pretty big decision, right, Chad? That's, that's a big one. Uh, size does matter when it comes to decisions, but I think I think we we know that. We kind of inherently realize that. Like, okay, most of us as leaders realize that if I'm going to decide to spend $20 on something, I may not go through the same process or it may not take as long as if I'm going to spend uh, $20,000. You know, I, I may have to think about 20000 more than twenty. But here's the deal. I think there's a difference in size and speed when it comes to decision-making. I don't think all big decisions, things that we would consider bigger in size, it's going to have a bigger impact or uh, it's a bigger risk. I don't think that all size decisions necessarily correlate to the speed in which you can make the decision. Um, I think speed has more to do with your process. And so what I I want to throw out here is you mentioned the sprint decision versus the marathon decision. Uh, Again, I'm not a runner. You're more of a runner than I am, but uh, you're more of a 5k guy, right? Yeah. Don't give me that big run. I'll do that 5k all day long. For all sure. right. You'll do the 5k. I won't even do the 5k. I, I'm going to be the sprint guy, you know, give me hundred yards or less. 
Um, but I'm definitely not doing a marathon, 26.2 miles. Uh, I've actually been to Greece. We're uh, in Athens and from Athens to Marathon, the Battle of Marathon, that's where it gets that that name from, that 26.2 mile trek. And uh, historically, if you look back, the soldier who ran that, that it's named after, he died right when he got to the end. And so I'm not taking that risk, Chad, but I will say I do understand the difference in a sprint and a marathon decision. Right. There are some decisions that are marathon decisions because they take time to process, time to collect information. Uh, They probably involve more people um, and you have to get maybe more buy-in from people, um, even feedback from people. Uh, Those are decisions that could involve... uh, you know, maybe, maybe focus groups, maybe if you're in a business and it's going to affect a lot of your, uh, impact a lot of your employees. But, but here's the thing, more decisions in our life, I'm convinced more decisions are sprint decisions. Yeah. If you have a good process and a good filter, you don't need as much time to make the decision. So my concern, Chad, is when we turn sprint decisions into marathons, right? Or you could conversely say when we turn marathon decisions into sprints. So maybe we can unpack both of those for our listeners because there is a danger in making a marathon decision as a sprint because you didn't take the time to get the right people involved, to get the right information. And you can regret those decisions, certainly. Uh, I know you deal with people when it comes to financial planning and stuff sometimes. And I'm sure there's been some really poor decisions Somebody probably needed to take a little bit longer, but they just jumped into something they didn't know. They made a bad investment and, you know, they lost money. But I think with leaders, a lot of times, at least what I'm finding is more people are turning sprint decisions into marathons. In other words, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take that long to make the decision if you have a clear filter. And because it takes too long they end up missing out right. on the actual decision. It, it really it became indecision at that point. So I think the old adage, opportunity knocks, that's true, Chad, but it doesn't keep knocking. Right. It, it, if you don't answer the door, if you're not ready to answer the door sometimes, opportunity is going to go to the house next door yeah. and they're going to answer. And so so I think if we could talk about the difference um, uh have you found that to be true? Have you found that as long as you have a good, healthy process and filter, that more of the decisions you make are sprint decisions and there's not actually too many that would fit marathon length, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would say the majority of, of most people's decisions are going to be those sprint type decisions. But I would also say that let's not make a, a, a hundred yard sprint into a 25 yard sprint either. Let's not make a real quick decision. Um, and not process out all of the things that you need to process out before making that decision. Um, on the marathon decision sometimes, I mean, sometimes, Bobby, when you have a decision to make, what seems like a very sprint decision could actually be a marathon decision with the optics of all the things that have to go on as a result of that. Let me give you an example. You know, we are in the Kansas City metro area, and right now the talk of the town over the past couple of weeks have been this Royal Stadium move, you know, just because this thing popped up and it's like, hey, we're possibly going to move this thing downtown. Well, I don't even think it's a possibly anymore. I, I think that's I think that's happening. Um, and here's what I want people to understand. Although the lease 
on our current stadium is not up for another eight to nine years, what we have to realize is this is a large move. This is a big deal. Whether you agree with it or not is irrelevant. It sounds like the decision's already been made, but that decision was probably made months and maybe even years prior to us even becoming aware of it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good example. I think maybe that's even what you could consider a series of decisions, uh, you know, decisions that create decisions. Um, and so certainly that that's a good example. I, I think oftentimes because of a lack of filter or maybe an increase in fear, we do turn those hundred yard dash decisions into uh, 26 point two mile decisions. Um, uh, I think that's, that's, that's the danger that, that I see. And it's just, it it can be avoided because you miss out on opportunities when you're not ready to make wise decisions. Now you're right. You can false start at any time. You know, you can take a decision that should be, you know, a hundred yard dash and, and turn it into something less and and you can make a poor decision. But I think when you do that, it has less to do with the speed. It just has more to do with you didn't, you didn't stick to your process. Right. You know, I was listening to uh, an audio book on investing and uh, one of the keys that came out of that, the author said over and over and over uh, was stick to your, you know, have a plan and then stick to your plan you know, don't deviate in this specific type of investing they were talking about because obviously emotions start to get involved and then you just start to make decisions that you wouldn't normally make. But they said, once you have your plan, you know, execute the plan, stick to the plan. It doesn't mean that you don't adapt, but it was basically have your principles. Maybe we could call it that in place and stick to those principles. And I think the same is true with the decision-making that we're talking about. As long as you've got a plan, a process that you work through some decisions you can work through very quickly because you've got the process, even if they're big. It could be big financial decisions. Uh, let's use this analogy. What about buying a house? It's a big decision for it's sure. A big decision size-wise. I'll be honest, most of the time buying a house, if you make it into a marathon decision, yeah. you're not going to get the house. Not in this market. Not in this market, <laughs> right? Now, that doesn't mean that you made... Uh, a decision that was a bad decision because you made it quickly. Of course, that can happen. You can overcommit or overextend. But if you've got a process and a filter, I remember just, uh, you know, it's been uh, two, a little over two years ago, Chad, that an opportunity came up for my wife and I to buy a different house. We weren't looking to move, uh, but it was a house that had some land. And when the opportunity came up, because I feel like we have a good process and how we make decisions, we're able to make a pretty quick decision, um, sizable investment, but a pretty quick decision. I'll be honest. I don't regret that one bit, but I will tell you that had we turned it into a marathon and had we, you know, made it a much longer process than necessary, we could have missed out on that. And, yeah. and, and you probably could say the same thing in your experience from time to time. Uh, so how do we make good, quick sprint decisions? Um, and how does that impact our organization? Now, before I ask you that, let me ask you this. Uh, I think the decision-making process is critical for organizations. It's critical for leaders. So the analogy that comes to mind, Chad, when you're growing up, did you ever wash 
wash the car with the old, like you washed it, old school water hose. You know, you, you, I remember my first car. I did that to my first car. Maybe it was a pride thing. I, I wanted to get out. I wanted to spray it down. A 1994 red Plymouth duster. That, that was the first car. So uh, I don't know. Did you ever do that? Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even when you get brand new vehicles, that may happen for the first couple washes. And then you realize, <laughs> I'm just going to go through this other I'm car wash. Yeah. Somebody else do it. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Here's why I use that analogy. Most of us can understand that. Even if we didn't do that, we, we get the idea. You hook up a hose and you turn the water on at the, at the spigot. And of course you've got the, the spray nozzle on the other end. And, and, you wash the car, right? You, you spray the car. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's pretty easy to figure out. But every once in a while, if you're doing that, you might lose water pressure. You, matter of fact, you, you might even lose water altogether. And you got a problem to figure out. Yeah. And anybody who's had this happen, you, you know where I'm going. You could replace the nozzle, the spray nozzle. You could replace the hose, you could even replace the spigot and you didn't solve the problem. The problem is you just had a kink in the hose. Yeah. Got under one of the tires. It got a kink in it. It lost water pressure. The point with that analogy is I think in organizations, oftentimes it's the decision-making process that creates the kink in the hose. You can replace people. You can replace systems. You can do all of these things, but if you don't have a good decision-making process, you will live in indecision, which is a decision, and it's a bad decision, or you'll turn sprint decisions into marathon decisions, and while opportunity knocks, it doesn't necessarily keep knocking. And yeah. so let's, uh, let's talk about, Chad, how do you, as we get practical on this today, how do you make sprint decisions. Now I'm going to assume our process is the same for marathon decisions, but keep in mind when we say marathon, we're talking about more people involved, more information and more time needed, not just stretching a decision out because we don't have a process. So how do you make decisions? What's your filter? Yeah. Well, the first thing I do, and I, and I think I've talked about this in previous podcasts before, but the first thing I'm always going to do is try to eliminate the emotion from it. Okay. And, and in my business, I mean, I, I've said this before, Bobby, and I'll continue to live by this. I really don't make decisions sitting in the chair at the office. I, I, I just don't. Because what I've learned from that is when I make decisions in the heat of the moment, when I make decisions while I'm actually involved in the process, those decisions sometimes don't turn out as well as they would if I would just sit back and reflect and take some time to process through that decision. Even whether it might be a sprint or a marathon decision, I try not to make them right there because I think there's too much emotion involved for me. So I try to eliminate the emotion and I try to focus on the things that I know to be true. Yeah, and I think that's another way to say that for me anyway, is I try to separate facts from feelings. Yeah. You know, because here's the thing opportunity knocks, you open the door and you're, you're, you're looking at something that feels good, feels right, feels exciting, you know, whatever that is, it doesn't necessarily mean that the facts are going to line up. So here's an example. I mentioned that we bought a house. It came up. It was the right thing at the right time for us. We had our decision-making process. Well, there's also been times, Chad, where 
something came up that was big that 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 wasn't the right thing. I mean, somebody could pull up out front with a red Lamborghini and I might think it looks really good and it would feel really good to drive. But to be honest, my insurance agent who happens to be sitting across the table from me at this podcast right now would probably tell me once I found out how much it was going to cost to insure monthly that it wasn't the best decision for me. And that's kind of the point. You got to separate facts from, from feelings. Now, while that's kind of a, uh, maybe a ridiculous analogy, even on a small scale though, the emotion can get you to make the wrong decision. And we've talked about that before. Emotions are a gift, not a guide. So you eliminate the emotion. Uh, I try to eliminate the emotion. And one of the things that I found helps me is I try to focus on neutral thinking. Talk to me about that. Neutral thinking. So when I hear you say neutral thinking, in my mind, it's kind of, um, it is what it is. Well, I, I think it has to do with focus on what you know to be true. Not what you wish was true or what might come true. Because that's oftentimes what we do. If I'm going to go out and buy a business, I'll just use that as an analogy. I'm going to spend a million dollars. I'm going to buy this business. I may have aspirations and hopes with this business. I may think I could run it better than the previous person. I may think that I can improve the balance sheet and all of that. And maybe that's true, but I need to focus on what's true at the time. I need to look at what's actually true. And and so I think sometimes in our decisions, the way we eliminate emotion is neutral thinking because while there is power in positive thinking, I'm, I'm not a negative thinking person. I don't advocate negative thinking. In fact, uh, this Sunday I'll be speaking uh, at our church on uh, chronic negativity. Uh, so I certainly am not advocating negative thinking, but I think in decisions, we also have to be careful that we don't take positive thinking to a place where we're just overly optimistic. Yeah, We have to actually take a neutral stance and say, okay, I'm not in drive. I'm not in reverse. Before I go forwards or backwards, what do the facts say? What's in front of me? And and I think it's the word that, that you mentioned earlier when we were talking earlier today, focus on what you know to be true. Yeah. Not what you wish, what might be, what's actually true. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I was actually going to ask you if you were thinking about opening that crumble cookie business, but <laughs> one day we're going to get a sponsorship chat, or at least we're going to keep talking about them. But yeah. And, and so folks on what you know, to be true, neutral thinking, you know, don't get caught up in positive thinking. And, and I mean, likewise, don't get caught up in the negative either, but for people who are uh, pretty risk oriented, I'm not necessarily risk averse. I'm a little bit more um, risk attracted, I guess. I have to try to remain neutral to not let my decision be based on the wishful thinking versus the actual, okay, well, let's look at what is and balancing that out. All right. We eliminate the emotion. What do you do next? You know, for me, um, there's a couple things that kind of come up. Um, and you know what, we actually talked about this a little bit before, and you mentioned something that I feel like is pretty important here. Um, why don't you talk about that peace portion that you were talking about? Yeah. When, when we talked about this, you know, once you've eliminated emotion, I mean, I think what you've, what you've done is you've said, okay, I'm, I'm looking at the facts. 
once you've done that, for me, there's still, there's a piece that I like to feel. Uh, it's the peace piece, if you will, the P-E-A-C-E-P-I-E-C-E. It's the piece of the process where I need to feel. Now, we talked about don't be led by feelings. Don't be led by emotions. Peace for me is not just an emotion, Chad. It is that instinctual gut. I don't have a check inside kind of deal. There's no yellow caution light. There's no warning lights on the dash. And the more that I, for me, the more that I pray, the more that I kind of meditate um, and just focus on, is this the best decision? Is this the wise decision? The more I understand when I have the peace and when I don't. And here's what I'll tell you. I've made decisions when I didn't have the peace and they've been the wrong decisions. Yeah. And the reason why I came back to that one, Bobby, and I, and I wanted you to touch on that is because I think that could quite possibly be the one that gets left out of a lot of decisions. Just because, um, you know, a lot of times, it, you call it gut instinct, call it gut reaction, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's actually that. I think it's more so what we're talking about here. I think it's more so making sure that you're going to be okay with it and making sure that you're vetting that decision out 100%. Yeah. And it's that internal peace. Basically, when people say, well, how do I know if I have peace? My, my thoughts are, well, if you're asking the question, you don't. Yeah, You don't have it. I mean, it's an internal peace. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's, I can lay my head on the pillow at night. I can sleep with the decision I've made. I feel good about it internally. It doesn't violate my conscience or my moral compass. Um, it's kind of all those things wrapped up. And again, Chad, for me, it's it's prayer because prayer for me is a way to just kind of posture myself to say, okay, is this the right decision? And if so, I'll have a peace to move forward. Um, now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't feel like there, there's kind of an idea in in Christian circles and maybe even outside of Christian circles, but well, God will just open the door and he'll show me which door to walk through. And I don't, I don't, I don't stick to that, Chad. Yeah. God will open the door. God can open doors. I, that's not the piece I have a problem with. What I have a problem with is when we, when we view it in that way, it's almost like God doesn't give us a free will. Like there's no yeah. decision that we make. We just open our eyes and we just blindly walk essentially because he's opening every door. And I look at it, I look at it as God can, God can unlock the door. Right. Um, or God can provide the key. So I was talking to somebody the other day. I don't necessarily stop at the first no. And what I mean is if I got a, if I don't have a piece about it, that's different. But sometimes we confuse peace with easy. Yeah. And and so if I feel like the door's not opening or, or you know, I, I it's, it's not open, I twist the handle, it's locked. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to see if the door is open. If the door is not open, I'm going to twist the handle. If I twist the handle, it's locked. I'm going to look around for a key. Now, at some point, I'm not going to try to go through the door, right. right? At some point, I realize I don't have a piece. But just because the door's not wide open with a big sign above that says, hey, Bobby, enter here, that doesn't mean that it, I'm not supposed to do it. And I think that's where decision-making gets sidelined, Chad, is sometimes we take this peace thing too far and too far in the sense, not that we don't have a peace, but we assume that peace is equal to a light in the sky that basically says, you know, 
come this direction and do right. this thing. And to me, it, it's usually more internal. It's more of that internal feeling of peace than it is some external sign that I'm going the right direction. But I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I definitely want to feel peace before I move on. Yeah. And I really want to make sure our listeners are hearing this because this one's probably the most important of the four that we're actually going to talk about. Um, so if I'm hearing you right, and, and whether it's prayer, whether it's meditation, whether it's just the feeling that you get, whatever that is, um, you have to go through that piece of the process. You have to go through that. And would you agree on this decision, or would you agree on this, Bobby, that if you're waiting for a door to open, that's similar to, but not the same thing as an indecision? I 100% agree. I mean, to me, it's like, if you go back to what we said, opportunity knocks. Let's use, let's use that analogy. Okay, opportunity is knocking. I'm going to wait for the door to open. Well, who's going to open the door? Right. <laughs> if I'm the one in the house and opportunities on the outside knocking, somebody has to open the door. Now, how do you know which door to open? That's what we're talking about. That's where peace comes in. But you can't just assume that if the door's not open, I'm not supposed to to open it. No, that's 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 indecision. You're right. That's exactly what that is. And you miss out on a lot of things in life by simply being unwilling to decide. So peace for me is not whether the door is wide open or not. It is that internal feeling that I'm to go through this process until I don't have that internal feeling. And there's been times, Chad, I thought I had that peace and I started moving forward and then I got that, no, something's off here. Okay, stop, Mm -hmm. lock the door back, kick opportunity off the porch, no problem. You know, you don't have to invite them inside, but- you don't have to stand there and wait for somebody else to open the door because the reality is it probably won't happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's the piece. I, I do agree. The peace piece is the most important piece. But once you've eliminated emotion and once you have, you know, whatever that means for you, that that peace to move forward, I don't think you're ready yet to execute. Yeah. Because every decision is going to impact other people. Yeah. For the most part, what do you do next? I, I think you really need to the, to touch on that impact, uh, the impact questions that are out there for you. Okay, who is this going to impact? What is it going to impact? At what time frame do these impacts are they going to happen? Um, where are we at in the process? Where is this decision going to take us? And how will this be done? You know, and it it, it seems like. You know, Bobby, it seems like we're just taking these decisions and we're just making this a huge process. It's really not that big, but these are all pieces that need to be a part of it. Yeah. And and what you'll find, we'll we'll circle back to this. This can this can be a sprint. I mean, we're not talking about days, weeks, months, or years. Now it can, but once you have this filter in place, I like the way you phrase it, impact questions because your decision will most likely impact other people. So you're asking the question, who, yeah. you know, it, it, it's going to have a, what impact, what is it going to impact when, when is the impact going to happen? Because some decisions you make now don't have an immediate impact, but they have a long-term impact and you've got to think through that um, and where and how, and all of those questions. But here's what I like about this process, Chad, is if you start with the questions, but you haven't eliminated the emotion. You're answering the questions, but you're answering them emotionally yeah. or potentially answering them based off of feelings. 
And that's why we're saying, we're not saying to ignore the questions. These impact questions are important, but they're important in the right order. Otherwise you start to, it becomes very jumbled. Right. You know, I, I immediately start saying, okay, who's it going to impact? Well, maybe I start to answer that question out of fear. I'm, well, I'm afraid if it impacts that person, what if they do this? What if they do? I'm not making the right decision. I, I'll give you an example. This is going to be from a, a church context, but I think, I think it certainly can be understood. We, uh, we made a decision years ago when we first started to do a shutdown, uh, where we shut down one Sunday in the summer to give our volunteers a break. And since then we've added three of those. We now do it quarterly. Uh, when we first were talking about that, you know, I remember somebody saying, well, what if we shut down, but people, they don't give that week. Now, if you know anything about charitable organizations, churches or not, you know, you exist primarily, uh, if not solely off of voluntary donations. And back in the time, we didn't have online giving back when we first started this. So people had to show up essentially chat on a Sunday in order to give. So they weren't there on a Sunday. They weren't giving the, the, the fear was the emotional part of that was, well, what if people don't give now? Here's the deal. It is a good question. There's nothing wrong with the question, but prior to ever getting to the question, what I had to do with the decision is I had to say, okay, I'm going to remove the emotion. I'm going to take fear aside. I'm going to set aside maybe the excitement of a Sunday off. I mean, you know, for a speaker that speaks, most of the time, you know, there was a little bit of a, oh, that'd be nice to have a whole Sunday off. That's a whole break the week before in preparation, right? I had to set the good and the bad emotion aside. Then I had that piece with, you know what? I think this, I think this might be the right decision. Then I could say, all right, well, let's be honest. It could have a financial impact. Mm -hmm. And if it does, who's it going to impact? How can we, maybe how can we overcome that impact? How can we communicate that impact? But does that make sense? If yeah. I started with that and I hadn't removed the emotion, I don't think I would have ever come up with the right answers to the impact questions. Have you experienced that? Yeah, for sure. And, and it kind of brings me back to a, a wonderful leadership book that's out there by Simon Sinek. And the title of this book, Bobby, and you've probably read it, is, is Start With Why. And, you know, that title in itself can help us through so many different things when we're in this leadership role. So um, the impact is, is, is a huge thing for sure, and I think that actually needs to be a big part of the decision-making process. So when, you, when we go through eliminate the emotion, we talk about having that peace, that feeling that everything is good. We talk about the impact. Okay, what's this decision going to impact? Who's it going to impact? How's it going to impact things? You know, what else do you think about? What's our final takeaway here? Yeah, I think my final takeaway is now at this point, if you've gotten that far, keep in mind at any point in the process, you can decide no, right? Yeah. You eliminate the emotions. And if you just can't get beyond that, then no, the decision's no, I'm not going to move forward. Um, you don't have a piece about it. The decision's no, it's an easy decision. The impact, you start to ask the questions, the impact questions, and you may come to the decision is no, but if you've gotten this far, now you're ready to move forward and you're ready to make the decision and say yes in whatever instance you're in or move forward, however you want to view that. Now you got to champion it, Chad. I mean, you've got to own it, whether or not it works out, whether or not it doesn't, it can't, it can't appear to others. And it's certainly not good even internally 
if you're still waffling in in indecision. I mean, there's got to be a point where you say, this is it. I'm owning it. Win or lose, succeed or fail, risk or reward, you know, whatever that looks like, I'm going to own the decision. And I think when you do that, it's healthy because you can only grow from the decisions that you've made, even if they're decisions that you would make differently when you own them. And this process isn't perfect. And here's why, because we're not perfect and we're the ones running the process. Yeah. It reminds me of it. Reminds me of a movie scene, uh, Moneyball. You know, most people have seen this and, uh, you know, the premise of this Moneyball situation is the general manager, Billy Bean, um, he's making a decision on how he's going to lead this team. And, and it was it, and they still do it today, to be honest with you, they still kind of lead the team this way. Um, but his whole comment was with it was, is who are we answering questions to? We got to stick to the decision that we made because we've got to own it. And uh, they did a really good job at doing that. And it actually turned out to be pretty good for them. Yeah. And I think, you know, that if we want to use the baseball analogy, take it a step further. Uh, anybody who is a fan of baseball understands the dilemma that we find ourselves in, in uh, 2022. And that is gut instinct when it comes to players and talent and how it's going to work out versus uh, analytics. Yeah. You know, what, what do the numbers say? And when, when, when I think of that, to me, it's not an either, or it's a both. And yeah, there's a place for both. And I think what this process is, is trying to do, it's trying to address both. Okay. The peace, that's kind of a gut instinct thing. I mean, that, that's what that is. There's no real analytics for peace. The impact is a little bit more analytical, right? Who's it going to, who's it going to impact? And you've taken out the emotion on the front side so that hopefully the gut instinct and the analytics can, can be married, right? They're not in opposition to each other. And on the backside, you've got to own it because if you move forward and say, you know what, that wasn't the best decision, the only way you learn from it is you've owned it so that you know, what do I need to do different next time? And I think that's what I want to make sure our listeners get. When you have a filter like this, a, a process, whatever you want to call it, it won't be a perfect process because you're the one running it. Yeah. And we're imperfect. And sometimes we think we eliminated the emotions, but we didn't. Sometimes we think we had peace, but we created kind of a false peace because we just really wanted to do this even though maybe it wasn't the best decision. Uh, sometimes the impact questions, we answer the questions the right way and we still make the wrong decision. And, and, but if we'll own it at the end, we'll make better decisions and wiser decisions because what we'll do is we'll perfect our own process. We'll realize the difference in a pseudo piece and a, and a real piece. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll begin to understand that. And I think that's, what's critical. I would rather make the wrong decision and learn from it, Chad, than to live in indecision, which is the wrong decision and not learn from it and miss out on the opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. This has been good today. I hope this has uh, been beneficial for everybody. Um, you know, as we usually do, Bobby, we usually use our acronyms in here. So if you think about Epic, eliminate emotion, have that peace that peace and understanding of the decision that you're making impact. Who's it going to impact? Ask the questions and then you have to own that champion it at the end of it. So uh, this was good. Yeah. Well, and and again, here's the takeaway. Uh, When you're making a decision, the key is make a decision. Yeah. Make a decision that you're going to make a decision. You're not going to live in a decision and then decide, is this 
a sprint or a marathon decision, which is not necessarily determined by the size of the decision, but the speed in which the decision can be, or many times needs to be made. You don't want opportunity to knock and then go next door because you couldn't decide to open the door. What we're talking about is we're talking about a process that can help you in either situation, sprint or marathon. And Chad, this process, when you practice it, it, it becomes second nature. You know, it, it's one of those things that Chad, if you ask me today uh, to make a decision and I'm put on the clock and I've got to decide by tomorrow, I can run through that process yeah. and I can do it pretty quickly. Um, but not because I'm better than anybody else, not because I'm a better decision maker. I've just learned uh, that if I'll follow the process and I'll stick to it, I'll, I'll be able to make quicker decisions, even if they're big decisions. And so don't confuse speed and size. Not every big decision is a long decision. And not every small decision is necessarily a quick decision. So once you know this, uh, know the difference and you use that process, I think, uh, yeah, I think you'll make better decisions and I think you'll make quicker decisions. And as leaders, we have to be willing to make decisions because indecision is a decision. And in my opinion, always the wrong decision. So uh, wrap us up here. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, well, final thoughts on this is, is I think this one's been good. I hope uh, that our listeners get some things out of this. And again, just go back to the basics. And that's kind of what this stuff is. It's the basics of decision-making. So, uh, man, this has been, uh, it's it's crazy to think that this is podcast number 11. We are in the month of December. This is our actually our last podcast for 2022. So, uh, you know, thank you to all of you guys out there that uh, that have bought into this process with us. Thanks to all of those of you that have subscribed. If you haven't, please do that. If you haven't had a chance to leave that review, please do that. That always helps us spread this message to that many more people. So we appreciate that. Bobby, hope you have a great holiday season. Hope our listeners have a great holiday season. What say you? Well, my uh, final thoughts, I'll echo what you said, as well as join us in January in the new year. We'll be releasing, uh, it's kind of in a way part two, Chad, because we're going to move from uh deciding to doing because a decision is mental, but at some point decisions have to be executed. And uh, how do you execute decisions? How do you implement the decisions that you make? So uh, maybe just kind of as a teaser, Chad, for those who are listening, uh, the, the theme will be make a great decision and then make the decision great. Uh, you can make great decisions, but if you don't make those decisions great through implementation and execution, well, that falls short and that hurts you and it hurts the organization. And we want to help you in your organization. So we'll talk through our experiences, both good and bad. Haven't always done this the best. We're looking forward to January and the new year. But yeah, to our listeners, hey, have a great Christmas uh, coming up later this month. And uh, remember the true reason for the season. We talked about peace today. He's the Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. And we wish you the absolute merriest of Christmas uh, seasons and holidays. You bet. Thanks, guys. We will talk to you next year. Have a good one. Hey, guys. 
guys. Thanks for joining the Epic Leadership Podcast. Man, this is just fun for Bobby and I just to kind of talk back and forth and hopefully give you some good insights into some leadership of a couple different industries. And if you've enjoyed it, we would love to have a good review. Uh, Give us a five-star rating if you can. Share it with some friends. If you didn't like it, then tune in again next time and we will try to do better. We'll see you next time, guys.